Let's pray. God, thanks for today. What a great God you are. What a great Sunday we celebrate, Palm Sunday. Together as we proclaim Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Lord, we know that tied in those words of Hosanna is the phrase, please save us. Thank you that you are the conquering king, and as we walk through this holy week, we're reminded that we need a savior. Thank you for fulfilling that role in our lives. God, thank you that you are a God who lavishes his love upon us. We are humbled that you choose to be with us, that you are a God who delights himself in us. We don't always understand the plans that you have for us. We don't understand the brokenness in this world that causes our bodies and relationships and other things not to function the way that you wanted it to be. But in that, we know that there's a Savior. And so thank you for saving us. Lord, we count it a great privilege to open up your word. In the next few minutes, may your words come across strong. May it not be an exercise where we just hear Matt's words. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Uh, This week's a great week for us as as Christ followers. Uh, You know, today we, and some of us might have that image of palm branches and, you know, when those people proclaimed Hosanna, they were saying, we need a savior. Please save us. They didn't know what they were going to be saved from, but they knew they needed a savior. And this week's all about that. As Christ followers, there's times where we jump into this Easter week and we start thinking about, oh, do I have the turkey? Do I have the ham? Did I get the chocolates for the kids? And we lose sight that you and I both needed somebody to save us. And, and that was Jesus. Uh, you know, Palm Sunday recalls this event in the New Testament. There's Jesus entering into Jerusalem He's being greeted by people. They're yelling. It's a celebration. They're waving palm branches. Well, that's great historically, but what does it mean for us today? I want to encourage you today and as we walk through this week that really we find ourselves just like those people 2,000 years ago on the sidelines. We're welcoming Jesus, but we get the great privilege of welcoming Jesus into our hearts. And in that, may we be proclaiming back to Jesus our willingness to actually follow him. And and, and may that kickstart this Easter week for you. You know, we've been in this series about if it's okay for us to doubt. And and, and some people find themselves doubting God, and and I get that. You know, even as a pastor, I've been there. I, I doubt God occasionally. But more often than not, I actually find myself doubting my own self. I I doubt myself because I know the real me. The one that you guys don't get to see. I, I, I know the voice that's in my head that says things to me that are about me that aren't always kind, that aren't always positive. 
They're not uplifting. <laughs> Does any of you kind of join me in that? Don't raise your hands. I, I know my insecurities. I know the critical voice that I have. I know my thoughts. I know the times when I dislike myself. Sometimes it's as simple as, I don't like what I just said in that conversation that I just had. More often for me, I don't like the way I said it. I don't like what I did. I don't like what I didn't do. And then worst of all, what I know is that God knows all of my faults, and maybe, maybe I'm just worried that at times I don't seem to measure up to who he is. It, it makes me wonder sometimes. I know he loves me, but why would God choose to use someone like me? So if you've ever doubted yourself, if you've ever felt insecure, if you've ever felt incredibly spiritually inadequate or insufficient, Hopefully this message is for you today. Now, for the rest of you, those of you who are confident, those who, of you who are perfectly, completely assured, for you that are the best of the best, the cream of the crop, those who graduated the top of your class, those who in your yearbook have voted most likely to succeed, you're the captain of your sports team, those of you that have never doubted, you have a ton of social media followers for the rest of you. The good news is that God can still use you, even in your perfection. He specializes in using those who need his presence. Those who need his power in order to, to actually do his purpose. So today we're going to talk about facing what scares us. There's these feelings of inadequacy and just this insecurity that I think we all face. Honestly, there's times where I think if God wants something done, surely he can find someone way better than me. It's just the reality for a lot of us. You might even feel like I don't know a lot of the Bible. I don't feel prepared to share my faith. I don't feel comfortable praying out loud. I don't want to lead a Bible study. I don't know a lot about life, and I don't read my Bible every day. Those are the things that others see, but then there are those things that you only know about yourself. It's the stuff that you know that you've done wrong. It's the people that you know you've hurt. It's the people that you feel like you've fallen short with. Then you think after all of that, why would God use someone like me? Let me remind you right at the start here that God knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. For some of you, that's actually really hard to hear this morning, let alone actually believe. I want to remind you what Paul said about you in Scripture. In Ephesians 2.10, we know this verse, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what are you? You're God's masterpiece. You're God's workmanship. You are created for good works that he planned before you were even born. Now, the word masterpiece, that's an interesting one. We maybe have heard this verse numerous times. The word masterpiece actually comes from the word poiema. Poiema, okay, so you see it on your screen. 
And, and this definition of this is a creation with a designated purpose, a workmanship, a, a masterpiece. Here's the interesting thing. That word poema, that's where we actually get the word poetry from. So what are you? You're God's poetic statement. You're beautiful. You're valuable. You're custom designed like a good tailored suit. You're custom fit for what God created you to do. He created you with a purpose. God gave you the right personality, the right mindset. He gave you the right preferences. He gave you the kind of right things in your life to do the work that God's called you to do. You were born at the right time to do the good works that he created way in advance for you to do. You're his masterpiece. He planned these things for you. So when Satan tells you God can't use you, look at you. You're a mess. That's when you get the opportunity to shout back, I was a mess, but now I'm a masterpiece. I'm God's masterpiece. So the question for me this week as we wrestle through this is, well, who does God choose to use the most? Who does God choose to use the most? So here's three different kinds of people God chooses to use the most. Most of us could raise our hands at each one of these. The first one, God always uses the unlikely. We're going to look in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. It says this. When they arrived, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For some of you, you are pretty short in size. I'm not going to name you from the front. You already know who you are. This verse should speak to you this morning. Look at the back end of that verse. People, look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. I love this. God is always looking for qualities that people overlook. So Samuel goes one by one looking at all the qualified candidates. And God keeps saying, no, not that one. And then the father, Jesse, says... Well, I got this kid. He's kind of a junior shepherd. He's just kind of walking sheep out in the the fold right now. And Samuel says, you got to bring him. I need to see this guy. So David shows up on the scene and David is the youngest. He's the least likely. And God says, that's the one I choose. So God calls David and he chooses him. Let me say this again. You see, God often, God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. That's not for me. There's no way that God can use me, not with my past, Matt, not with what I've done. But you see, God specializes in using the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. I want to encourage you. You just need to know this. Some of you today on April 2nd, need to stop believing what others have said about you and start believing what God says about you. God can use you. 
God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. Uh, the, the second group of people that God uses, which we could all raise our hands in, is God uses the insecure. Now, you may remember back to the book of Judges after the Israelites had sinned. God had turned them over to the hands of the Midianites. There was this guy named Gideon who was insecure. He was afraid. He was hiding. And an angel appears to Gideon and says to him, The Lord says you are a mighty warrior. God has chosen you, Gideon, to rescue Israel from the Midianites. Now, if I was Gideon, if you were Gideon, you would think that if an angel actually showed up, you'd be good. But that's not what happened. In Judges chapter 6, verse 15, here's Gideon's response. Pardon me, Lord? Like, excuse me, God. Like, God, you got the wrong guy. How can I save Israel? Don't you know, God, that my clan, my family is the the weakest in all of Manasseh, and I am by far the least in my family. You see, for some of you today, God is going to call you. He's going to stir something inside of you. He's going to move you to actually do something in our church. Maybe he's going to call you to serve at your school or at your work. He's going to call you to share your faith with others. And you're going to say exactly what Gideon said. Pardon me? God, let me tell you all the reasons why I am not the best person. See, if God can use someone like me with my insecurities, with my inadequacy, if God can use me, he can certainly use you. Here's what I want you to know. You may not have a lot of confidence. You may not have a lot of confidence in yourself, which is really good, because you see the truth that serving God is never meant to be done alone. You always need two things when we serve God. You need the Holy Spirit, and you need the help of God's people. See, you've been created with talents and gifts to be used in the church. Now, for a second, I want to talk about dancing. This is where it gets dangerous in Baptist churches. Hold on. In no way am I good at dancing. So, But every time that my mom's family, my mother's side of my family, has a wedding, there's always a dance aspect to it. Here's what I've learned about dancing. There are very few people who are good at it. And then there's the rest of us. But you know what? When we're dancing, when we're all looking foolish, it actually brings a great amount of joy to us. See, joy is a byproduct of when we serve God and are used by God. In the same way that you have gifts and talents, some of them are hidden and you've been just sitting in the background. Sitting in the back, watching others Have that elusive joy that you want. Friends, it's time for you to get up. It's time to get off your seat. It's time to get involved. Here's what I want you to understand. There is always a need in the church that needs to be filled by you. Pick up your instrument, join the band, get plugged in, start using your gifts. Some of you, you've got great talents. You're great with kids. Maybe you're great at playing the drums. Maybe you're great at numbers and data, or maybe you're great with technology. 
and you're just not using your gifts, it's time to join the team. If you're not serving, there's something in the church that's not being done. And I promise this, you will love it. And we'll be with you. And there's nothing more fun, more joyous than serving God with the people that you love. You'll have a different joy than what you're used to. So it's time. Gideon said, I'm the least. I'm no good. I can't do it. And here's the thing. Gideon was about to recognize that God often uses the least to do the most. So God uses the unlikely. God uses the insecure. Here's the third one. God uses people with failures. Let me show you a powerful example in the Bible. Last week I talked about Peter and how he doubted Jesus and how he betrayed Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if you missed last week's message, just go back and and listen to it. There's some powerful truths in that message. But today I I want to focus on a, a different individual. He's a different disciple. So after Jesus was crucified, the Jewish leaders thought that they had eliminated the threat that Jesus was to religion. But the disciples and the other Christ followers began to share the good news of Jesus, and people continued to turn their lives back to Jesus. So what happened in the book of Acts, we see, is it led to persecution. And apostles were getting executed, disciples were getting executed, and one of those was Stephen. And as Stephen was being stoned to death, there was this guy standing on the sideline, Saul, watching this all unfold. If you have your Bibles, we're going to spend a few minutes in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 57, we pick it up. At this time, because Stephen was saying this, okay, so Acts chapter 7, verse 57. At this, the people covered their ears and started yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed towards Stephen. Look at verse 58. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of, the young, of a young man named Saul. Look at verse 59. And you won't see it on the screen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed this. Lord, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees, Stephen, in verse 60 and says this. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Where did he learn that from? Jesus. When he said this, Stephen fell asleep. Now we'll pick it up in verse chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, remember standing on the sidelines, approved of their killing of Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke uh, broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men came and buried buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. And then we see this in verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Powerful word. Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He dragged out women and men and put them in prison. But here's what you need to know about Saul. Let this sit, sit with you for just a minute. 
Saul actually thought he was serving God by doing this. He was part of the religious group. And so he was eradicating this crazy group that was talking about Jesus. He was protecting the religious from this newfound, powerful, life-changing movement. But Saul goes on to have an experience, an encounter with Jesus where his life is completely transformed. And in that transformation, he recognizes that he failed at serving God. He changes his life around. He begins to to suddenly see that his old way of life isn't what his new way of life needs to be. His name actually changes from Saul to Paul. And so then he begins to tell everyone that he runs into about Jesus. He went on to be the one that was getting beaten, to be the one that was persecuted, to be be the one being put in prison. And through it all, what Saul, what Paul remembered was that he at one time failed God's standard. Friends, have you ever blown it? I mean, have you ever blown it big time? Have you done things that you're embarrassed of, that you're ashamed of? Do you ever feel unworthy to be used by God? You know, it might have been that big public mistake that you made. A big public failure where you lost your temper, you said something you shouldn't have said, or maybe you've made some bad financial decisions, or you've lied to someone and hurt someone really special to you. Maybe you've battled addiction or betrayed your family, or you've crushed those that you love, or maybe it's just a private failure. Those are a bit more tricky. Maybe it's a secret addiction. Maybe it's something that you did or that you said And you didn't get caught, but it weighs heavily on your mind every single day. Or maybe you've just been running from God's call on your life and you feel like a failure. See, Paul killed and persecuted Christians. And yet he went on to be a major part of building the church. He even wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Here's the verse that cements this whole conversation we're having this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10 says this. Here's Paul writing to the church in Corinth. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Then the next verse, verse 10. But... But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Who better to preach about forgiveness than someone who has been given, who was forgiven so much? Do you see who God uses? He uses people who fail because there aren't any other kind of people around. We all fail. We all are short. We all struggle. You got to remember that when you look at Scripture, Jacob was a cheater. Moses was a murderer. David had an affair. Jonah ran from God. Elijah was depressed. God used him too. Even Miriam was always gossiping. Here's the thing, time after time, after you look at scriptures, people failed God, and yet God still uses them. 
One single act of obedience. What God can do with that. There are those of you today that feel insecure. Maybe you feel unlikely. Or maybe you feel like you're just way too bad to serve in the church. The devil will tell you why you can't make a difference. But God will tell you what in Christ you can. So here's the thing. You got to just remember, stop thinking about what others say about you. Stop thinking about who you say you are. Remember who God says you are. You are the workmanship of Christ, his masterpiece. He created you in advance to do good works. Stop doubting yourself because when you doubt yourself, you're actually doubting God. The creator of the universe who created you. You are not what you did. You are not what they did to you. Today you are God's masterpiece, created to do good works, which he already prepared in advance for you to do. So as we pray today, I I want you to, to pray a simple prayer with me, just saying back to God, man, God, I surrender back to you. God, I surrender. That thing you're calling me to that I've been ignoring, I actually surrender and I want to be obedient to you. That voice that keeps telling you you're not good enough. God, I want to surrender that voice to you. God, thank you that you are a God who wants to use us. Thanks for my friends who are on this journey with me. Lord, may we hear your voice. May your voice be the one that motivates us and pushes us. God, I surrender. Allow me to not make it about me. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. In your name. Amen.